We have 85 verses to cover, so I probably should get started. I'm not kidding. This is going to be a different format. For those of you who've been here or are familiar with our church, we have gone verse by verse through the book of Ruth, and we spent a week per chapter. And occasionally, when we come to Lord's Supper, we'll take the service and focus more on Lord's Supper, do more of a devotional thing, and that's what today is. So we're going to, I'm mostly going to read and not comment on the book of Ruth, but I'm, I'm going to go through it a little differently from what we've done. If you're interested in the verse by verse and bring out all the different historical stuff, I've done my best to do that, and you can go watch it or listen to it again on the website if you want to. But today we're going to focus on the symbolism that's there with Boaz, who was the redeemer of that book, the main one, and then Jesus, who is the redeemer of all of us. God is the redeemer, and, and that is a theme, I think you could argue, the main theme of scripture, whatever book we go to, to see God redeeming what people lost when Adam and Eve sinned. So the idea of redemption, I mentioned this in scripture reading, but for review, to redeem means to buy back or to buy out. So the term talks about someone who buys back property or buys back a person. One definition I found online, a kinsman redeemer was a male relative who had the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or need. So in our story here, Naomi and Ruth are in trouble, danger, and need. But spiritually speaking, all of us were in trouble, danger, and need. And Jesus came to our rescue. To be a kinsman redeemer, you had to meet three basic qualifications. Pretty simple. You had to be related. You had to be willing to redeem, and you had to be able to redeem. So if you ever heard ready, willing, and able, okay, this is relative, willing, and able. And we're going to see how Jesus is qualified and a little bit of how Boaz was qualified here. So this is the main point. This is the main idea of what we're doing today to prepare our hearts for Lord's Supper, which we're doing after this. It is Jesus, our Redeemer, was related, willing, and able. So with that in mind, would you go please to verse 1 of the book of Ruth? And like I said, I'm going to do a lot of reading and a little bit of commenting and point out some things and read some parallel passages to, to show how Jesus is our Redeemer. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, so the woman that's Naomi, survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. 
the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to our people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. We'll stop there for a moment. What were those three qualifications in order to be a redeemer? You had to be related, willing, and able. Y'all are doing great. In these next verses, we're going to see two of them come into play. This is chapter 2, verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. He probably was a wealthy man. But we talked about that term. It's the same description of the Proverbs 31 woman, virtuous, excellent. He is a man of outstanding character. But in terms of wealth, in terms of ability to redeem, because what is redeeming? It means to buy out, to buy back. That requires that you have some form of payment, right? Our Lord, according to 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Our Lord Jesus Christ is and was rich. He was well off enough to be able to redeem us. But we're not really talking about monetary wealth, are we? He has the cattle on a thousand hills, but that's not the point here. The point is that he is the holy, sinless son of God and has been from eternity. He was able to live the perfect life without sin. He was able to come and do that on our behalf. Along that line, 
he was in heaven, he had all of the splendor and glory that the Father gave him. Philippians 2 puts it this way, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Who being in the form of God, he is God. He has always been God. But he came in human flesh. He humbled himself and limited himself in the expression of that glory and power. So he was perfect. He was sinless. The son of God from eternity past. He dwelt with his father in glory, but he willingly came and dwelt among us in order to redeem us. God himself became a man. We have fancy terms for that. The incarnation, where he came in flesh. The virgin birth, that was necessary for him to be God and yet come and be born as a human, to be both God and man at the same time. But in doing that, he became our close relative. He became one of us. He became our redeemer. I'm in chapter 2, verse 2 now. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Now in that statement in verse four, it says Boaz came from Bethlehem. I'm going to use it two different ways. He came from the city. He was walking into the field from the city. That's what it means. But he came from Bethlehem. He was an Ephrathite. He is part of their extended family. So Boaz is from Bethlehem. Who else do you know who's from Bethlehem? David. We get to the end of the book, and we read that David, and we call that the city of Bethlehem. Who else is from Bethlehem? Jesus. Exactly. You know the verse? We look at it probably every Christmas, right? Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth, goings forth are from old, from everlasting. The one who has always been, that's Jesus, the eternal son of God, came in Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem. You know the story. God worked all that out as well. Just as we see his sovereign hand playing everything out in this book of Ruth, he orchestrated events through the emperor and a tax process to get Joseph and Mary where they needed to be for his son to be born in Bethlehem. Verse 5, Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty... Go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. 
So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? What is Ruth's response? She is humble. She recognizes the grace, the gift that is being given to her by Boaz, that he's being kind to her. And why is that shocking to her? Well, she's poor. That's why she's in the field gleaning. She is a widow. She's a woman. But more than that, she's not an Israelite, is she? She's from Moab. She's a foreigner. In that culture, call it racism, ethnic, whatever, they didn't like one another. Moab was an enemy of Israel through most of its history. And yet he's being kind. Part of redemption what Jesus did for us is to bring us near to him and in so doing to place us in a relationship with him. I love Ephesians 2. If you aren't studying something, next time you open your Bible, read Ephesians 2. But I'm going to read you three verses from there. Ephesians 2.11 says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, so what is Paul saying? He's talking about circumcision, uncircumcision, Jews and Gentiles. If you can't trace your ancestry back to Abraham directly, then you're a Gentile. I am one. Probably most of you in the room are. So he's saying, remember that you who were Gentiles, and he's talking spiritually, but he's using that illustration, that at that time you were without Christ. Think about the time in your life, whether you were a child or an adult, when you were without Christ. He's going to describe that for us being aliens or foreigners, strangers, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How did he bring us near? By his blood. How did he do that? By taking those who were his enemies. That chapter also describes us as his enemies. Dead in sin, we were that. But we were foreigners. And he said, come near. Come to me. Find salvation in me. I will redeem you. Galatians has a similar thought, but ties this idea of redemption to the idea of adoption. This is Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, we read this verse at Christmas too, don't we? When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, here it is, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive what? The adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Someone wrote that adoption is free for the one who is adopted. But it is very costly for the one who does the adopting. And that's describing Jesus as well. It cost him his life and his death. He came from heaven to live the human life we could never live, kept God's law perfectly, and then he died the death that we should have died. He is our redeemer. He is bringing us close to him. We were far off. We were strangers. We were aliens, not space aliens, but aliens, people who 
had no right to come near him. In the same way that Ruth didn't expect to receive this kind of treatment, this type of reception from Boaz. And on our own, we couldn't expect to receive any hearing from our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, the Creator God, the Savior of the world. Why would we expect that we could come into his presence? And yet, he invites us to come into his presence, boldly come to that throne of grace, and find help in our time of need. Why? Because of the shedding of his blood, the cost of our redemption. Continuing in chapter 2 of Ruth, and Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you've come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And isn't that what Jesus does for us? He speaks kindly to us. He receives us. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. He invites us to a future meal with him. He invites us to his table of figurative bread and wine. He offers us himself the true bread of life. That is our redeemer. That is Jesus. Verse 15, and when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that's Ruth, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Your translation may have something other than security. You might have the word rest, because that's what that word means. It means rest. And just as I mentioned a minute ago, our Lord invited people to taste and see that the Lord is good, that he is the bread of life. He is the one who satisfies spiritually. What else did he say in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you 
rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, our Redeemer, is our rest and peace. In the context of that chapter, Jesus was talking to people who were trying to keep all the rules that the religious leaders offered. And he's saying, no, come to me. Come to me. Find rest in me. You cannot work for your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. But you can find your salvation in me. Come to me and find rest. Naomi's concerned for her daughter-in-law that she would have rest and security and a family. And Jesus, our Redeemer, invites us to come to him and find spiritual rest and a family. Verse 2 of chapter 3. Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. You are a redeemer. Boaz was a close relative. And he seemed, as we saw earlier, he was probably a man of wealth, a man of valor. He seemed to have the means to redeem Naomi and Ruth. But what we don't know yet is whether he's willing to do it. You say, I know, I know, you've read the story. But we don't know, for what the author has given us so far, whether he's going to be willing. And when she says, take your maidservant under your wing, or your translation may say, spread your garment over me, either way, this is a proposal of marriage. She's asking him to marry her. And that same terminology is used, I believe it's in Ezekiel, of God who says, I will spread my skirt over you. I will marry you. It's, that's the picture here of marriage. Boaz is a close relative. He's able, has the means to redeem and he is willing. Look at verse 10. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning, it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning. And she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? How did it turn out? 
Then she told her and that all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. The idea of that chapter we talked about is rest. Why? Because he's going to work on your behalf. What was Ruth's job, so to speak? She was supposed to come follow the custom. Her mother-in-law said, do it this way, go do this, follow these things, and she did. But is it up to her whether she gets redeemed? No. It's up to Boaz or possibly this closer relative. When we realize that we need someone to redeem us, when we realize that we need salvation, is there anything that we can do to save ourselves, to accomplish it? No, he's done all the work. He's already done it. At the same time, she needed to come ask him. And I want to be careful how I word this, but we are invited to call on the Lord for salvation. He's the one who does the saving. His Holy Spirit is the one who draws us. But we place our faith in him. We call out to him, Jesus, save me. And he does. He redeems. Chapter 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I fought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. He says there, I have acquired Ruth as my wife. Earlier we talked about the Redeemer developing relationships, bringing people into relationship, and we talked about the parent and the adopted child. That's one illustration. Another one that's probably more familiar to us is the one that Paul uses in Ephesians 5 of husband and wife. Because the church is called the bride of Christ in the Bible. So we read this in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her 
with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. He is purifying his bride. He is redeeming his bride. That is those of us who have placed our trust in Christ. Verse 11, And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went in to her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. The end of the book. Ends with a genealogy. We talked about that. This is a beautiful historic event. Events that unfolded over a few, well, 10 years and then a few months. And we saw God orchestrate all that so that Ruth and Naomi would be provided for. They would receive security and rest. They would be placed in a family. And God provided for them. And that's the way we studied this, looking more at the historical. This has been more the symbolic part seeing Jesus, seeing Boaz as a type of Christ. There are other passages, obviously, that we could have looked at, Old Testament, New Testament. Exodus 6 talks about God's talking to Moses and saying, I am going to redeem you. And that means literally buy you out of slavery. And he did. We read in 1 Peter 1, that we haven't been redeemed with silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. That is the ransom. That is the price that Christ paid for us. His atoning blood was shed on our behalf. Jesus is our redeemer, and he was related. He came to become man, to dwell with us, to be our Emmanuel, God with us. He was willing. Think about that. He, God, was willing to come as a man to die. That was the purpose of his coming. He knew why he was coming. And he was willing. And he was able. He lived the perfect, sinless life. Condemned to die anyway. And suffered in our place. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to transition in a moment the Lord's Supper, and I'll give you some instructions on that, but before we do that, 
I'd like to ask you to ask yourself whether you're a child of God, whether he is your redeemer, whether you have called on him and placed your faith in him alone to redeem you, not in the, the good stuff that you've done or that your good would outweigh your bad or you hope he'll let you into heaven, but that you're dependent on Jesus and his shed blood and his resurrection for you. If there's anyone in the room this morning that you're not sure, you can be sure today. I'd be glad to talk with you. I'd be glad to show you additional verses. But the invitation is open. He says, come to me and find rest, security, a family, an eternal home with him. And those of you who are believers, you've placed your faith in Jesus. Is his work of redemption not amazing? We have so much to thank and praise him for. Are you doing that? Does it even cross your mind during a day? We have the opportunity to remember his death in a moment. Make sure that your heart is prepared, ready to thank and praise our Redeemer, our Lord and God. We are thankful for your word. We are thankful for this beautiful story and what it teaches us about the history and customs of Israel at that time. And more importantly, Lord, the way you can orchestrate events to follow your sovereign purpose. You are at work in our lives too. And so we want to praise you and thank you for that. But Lord, how wonderful the way all of Scripture fits together to be able to see your work of redemption that you had planned in eternity past. It wasn't your plan B. It was the way you sought to bring glory to yourself and to bring sinners back into relationship with you. And so we want to pause this morning and thank you and glorify your name and magnify you because of the great redemption that cost you so much and you have made freely available to us. Thank you for rescuing us from sin. Thank you for rescuing us from the curse of the law. Thank you for bringing us out of that and into your family that we would be part of the bride of Christ, your church, that we would be adopted sons and daughters. Lord, you have taken us from being far off and strangers to being part of your family. So give us a right perspective and, and help us, enable us by your grace to thank and praise you for that today and throughout.